Hey moms, welcome to this week's podcast. I am so excited to be here and I'm really grateful that you're here with me as well. I am the author of The Unhurried Homeschooler, a simple, mercifully short book on homeschooling that you can find on Amazon. And I'm going to leave a link to that in the podcast notes. But you know what I forgot to do? I forgot to tell you uh, a little bit about myself. So if you're a new listener and you don't know me yet, um, I am married to Daryl. We've been married for for 30 years. We have eight kids, ages 15 to 28. We have six grandkids, and we've been homeschooling for um, over 24 years. Well, this month on the podcast, I'm going to be covering some great topics, things like how to start a homeschool co-op, um, another podcast on You're the Parent, Know Your Parental Rights, and we're going to have Michael Ramey from parentalrights.org uh, bringing some encouragement and talking about our rights as parents, um, but also bringing bringing some inspiration and encouragement and some good words uh, to remind us why we actually are the best person to be directing our kids' education. Also, I'm going to be uh, making uh, just a slight change to the Grace for a Mom's Heart devotional that's going to be coming out twice a month. And instead of uh, me doing a bunch of talking, I'm going to be reading scriptures that will um, be directed towards certain topics. For instance, the first one will be, um, is God really in control? And I'm going to read you a bunch of scriptures that talk about the sovereignty of God and how he actually is in control, because so much of the time it can feel like he's not. And the thing that I love about the word is that it's full of truth and it's full of life and it gives life. And so I feel like reading that out loud together is going to be very, very powerful and God's going to do some great things through that. My last announcement is that in February, I will be part of an incredible online conference called Homegrown Generation. This is going to include five days of workshops led by some of today's most popular speakers addressing the most important issues that homeschool families face. This is a live online event covering topics like getting started, staying encouraged, family, marriage, parenting, discipleship, homeschool styles and methods, um, taking school outdoors, and so much more. People like uh, speakers like Todd Wilson, Heidi St. John, Kirk Cameron, Ginger Hubbard, and I will be there as well talking about nurturing sibling relationships. So I will leave that link in the podcast notes, but let's get to our topic. I know all of you have been really excited about this particular topic, and I am too. Today, we're going to be talking about growing kids with ADD and ADHD. I've had so many moms ask me about this. And even though um, we actually do have a son who was diagnosed with ADHD years ago, I know for a fact that I could never tackle this topic on my own. So I've invited my favorite family counselor, Dan Marcone, to the podcast. Uh, Dan has previously joined me for two other podcasts, um, Encouraging a Growth Mindset in Your Kids and the Development uh, the development stages of kids and their learning. And I'll leave those links in the podcast notes as well. So a little bit about Dan before I bring him in here. Um, he is a licensed mental health counselor, clinical supervisor, practice founder, and director of Seasons Counseling in Orlando, Florida. He's married to Amy. 
He graduated with a master's of uh, mental health counseling from Reformed Theological Seminary. Um, following school, he served as director of counseling for Adolescent Life Coaching Center from 2008 to 2009. And from 2010 to 2014, he was co-director of Journeys Counseling Center. And then in March of 2014, he founded Seasons Counseling Orlando, and he's proud to put his time and energy into growing this dynamic helping center. His spare time is devoted to studying new interventions, therapies, and the latest research and trends in the field, the psychology and neuroscience behind trauma diagnosis and healing have been a focus of intense study and application in his practice, resulting in <laughs> accidental but very real trauma and anxiety specialty. So his areas of specialization, if you just want to kind of put them in a bullet point form, is trauma and or abuse, emotional, physical, or sexual, relationships, personal development, codependency, anxiety, depression, parent training, and teen issues. That is a mouthful, but I just want all the moms to know kind of where you're coming but from, Dan, but welcome. Sure. Thank you for being here. We're so excited to have you. I'm really happy to be here. Thank you so much. And uh, I'm eager to, to kind of come alongside moms and families with this really difficult topic. Um, and, and so uh, if I can be an encouragement to you and your listeners, I'm really happy to do so. Well, we really appreciate it. So we're going to just kind of start at the very basic basics. Um, if you could define the terms um, ADD and ADHD so we can kind of know the difference between them. I've never really fully understood that. Well, it, it's it's complicated and, and the meaning of ADHD is complex and it's, it's, it's misunderstood um, because it's a neurological disorder, you know, that impacts parts of the brain that help us plan help us focus and execute tasks in the frontal lobe, which is called, you know, um, the executive functioning. And ADHD or symptoms, you know, they vary and they're subtypes. So we'll talk a little bit about that. There's an inattentive type, there's a hyperactive type or a combined. And they're often more difficult to diagnose in girls and adults. And that can be interesting uh, as we, you know, look at the development process of kids through different stages and how to really get accurate, you know, diagnoses uh, is really difficult. And so we'll look at it. But what I'd like to like for you to think about when you think of ADHD is I don't like to when we say attention deficit hyperactive, you know, disorder. Um, you know, I think it's more um, attention deregulation. Okay, so okay. that's that's the key there that I think that's really important, uh, or a dysregulation or a deregulation of a person's capacity to, um, particularly children, when it develops early, um, and their impairment in some of the executive functioning areas. But it's a it's a deregulation. And that's where part of the um, healing and rewiring work um, that goes into working with people with ADHD is to get more regulated. Okay. And that's a big key. So when you say deregulation, what do you mean by that? Well, that's, <laughs> that, that's definitely, um, you know, a mouthful there. Um, deregulation so when a person is regulated, 
they're kind of they're in tune. So their mm-hmm. brain, their body, their emotions, um, their nervous system is all in alignment. Some people call this coherence. So when you're in coherence, your survival brain, the parts of your brain that come on to protect you, like which we call, you know, anxiety or or hyper vigilance um, when we start to feel stress hyper we get hyper vigilant and the frontal lobe then is impaired and now we are in a state of scanning for threats mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. so deregulation um, is a person that's threat system can be on or hyperactive or or um, what we would call, you know, activated. Got it. Got and it. So, yeah. So there's an activation in subcortical regions, which means the parts of the brain that doesn't think that are on. So it's impairing the ability. So when someone's able to really focus and connect and attune and engage, their nervous system's calm. And then they're able to be curious. They're able to have empathy, insight, body regulation, response flexibility. And response flexibility is a huge problem with people that have ADHD. They're not able to be flexible and responsive when stress hits. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That makes perfect sense. I'm, I'm picturing, I'm, I'm picturing our son in certain scenarios, and this is just so resonating with that. I can, mm-hmm. you know, you can just see it playing out exactly what you're describing here. Gosh. And I mean, obviously, there can be so many reasons for that. But really, I, I think what we want to talk about today is is getting our kids who are struggling with this to a place where they're, it's sounding to me like what we're wanting to do is to get that, um, that threat system sort of mm-hmm. deactivated right, so that right. they can engage and they can actually uh, be curious and do the things that that learners do. Um, mm-hmm. Because, you know, like today we're specifically talking to moms who are homeschooling kids with this. And, and this is where I feel like um, in so many ways we're at an advantage because we can create an environment at home that is conducive to um, our kids relaxing and being able to actually engage in learning. Absolutely. And, and you know, moms, it, the, the best way to really treat this, you know, um, de- it's a developmental delay or problem or lack of development in the frontal cortex, which, mm-hmm. by the way, it develops starting, you know, all the way until we're 26 years old. Mm-hmm. So there's there's very important fundamentals early on in the development of a child, even in the womb, where co-regulation with the primary nurturing caregiver is so important. So moms, the best way to treat a child that's struggling with ADHD is to be regulated yourself. Hmm. Is to because you will co-regulate. So if you're heightened, stressed, intense, if you're focused on tasks and not relationship, if you're if you're anxious and and upset, and um, the child from 22 weeks in the womb co-regulates with 
and on an implicit level with the mom's nervous system. Hmm. Wow. That is just absolutely fascinating. That that connection is so, you, you don't really think of it as being that intense and that real. But yeah, I love I love what you're saying here because uh, I, I can just t- share a quick story. When our son was um, very young, he had a very hard time with emotions and he did not know what to do with them. And he, I could tell that he couldn't think, he couldn't express, he couldn't. He couldn't find the words. He still sometimes struggles with that, but especially as a small child, it was it was particularly intense. And I just remember um, because you know we took a lot more of an unhurried approach when it when it came to homeschooling our kids. I really tried to. Um, take the time to tune in to each child. And I found Mm -hmm. myself, because he was our eighth and I was kind of in a rhythm of tuning into our kids, I found myself sort of naturally knowing how to respond to him. And it was not to hit him with a a barrage of questions, trying to get answers out of him or telling him he needed to calm down, but it was just be holding him and being quiet and giving him time to just come down and to calm down. And he still sometimes needs that. And he's 15 years old. But um, oh gosh, but, yes. Yeah. And I can totally. Uh, can totally relate to that. And I think this is where it's so important for us, like you said, you just nailed it, to be focused on relationship Mm -hmm. and not on the checklist. And this is an opportunity for us as human beings, as moms, to grow. And we all know that raising kids and homeschooling kids is going to grow us as as much or more as it does our kids, but particularly Um, In this situation, it's no different. In fact, I think it's even more so. God has a plan. He has um, a purpose. I I feel like we need to remember he's given us these kids for a reason. Like there's, There's an intentionality there. He wants to not only do a work in our kids, so instead of looking at this like, oh my gosh, this kid is broken, I have to fix him, we can go into it going, we're both gonna grow through this. And, Mm -hmm. you know, looking at it as a team effort, you're doing this together Mm -hmm. and, you know, it's you and the child and God working together to, Mm -hmm. um, to first and foremost, have a good, safe, loving relationship. And then you can kind of move into the, that is a big part of and foundational to creating a good learning environment for the kids. So it's just always going back to that relationship, you know, and that, Mm -hmm. um, and and just learning to uh, regulate, like you were talking about, regulate ourselves, Mm -hmm. you know, (laughs) keep, this is hopefully a motivator to keep us from Mm -hmm. getting on the panic wagon on on everything. (laughs) Yeah. Nothing more important than mom's mental health. Mm-hmm. and pressure and stress and anxiety and perfectionism and and focusing on you know fixed outcomes is going to affect the child's ability to regulate right and and with ADHD the description that's the reason i say deregulation is more accurate is because most people with ADHD have more than enough attention. They just can't harness it Mm -hmm. in the right direction at the right time with any consistency. (laughs) 
I can I can almost hear the moms on the other end listening, going, "Oh yes, I can totally relate to this." <laughs> and so these individuals, these children with ADHD, hyper focus and mm-hmm. lose track of time or misplace things or blurt mm-hmm. out an unrelated thought or you know when their fo- <laughs> when their focus breaks free from its chains you know and it just mm-hmm. yeah, so it's really important to uh, understand it in that way which involves like you said a relational component to helping the child heal and grow and stay Upstairs is what we call it, Dr. Dan Siegel or Dr. Bruce Perry, who talk about, you know, the developmental brain. These are psychiatrists that are well-renowned and see it as a developmental problem um, and a delay in development in the executive functioning. You know, they'll they'll tell you um, it's so important. Empathy, love, compassion. Those are experiences like even when a child's young when a, when a child's mindset is formed in early attachment attachment and and the next component that develops in the womb is self-regulation so we're talking about primitive developmental components here in touch eye contact feeding movement voice these are all things that when a need is perceived by a child and the arousal comes up the needs met and the child is calm and safe and attuned and connected and we have to repeat similar patterns as moms and dads to make it safe to make them feel seen to make them feel secure you know and soothed and those that keeps the frontal cortex developing that executive functioning that orbital frontal cortex that bottom part that really then is let loose for learning and for for absorbing and curiosity and innovation when stress hits it's impaired and now we've dropped into scanning for threats or um, cortisol or adrenaline-based outbursts. And so it's super important that we continue that co-regulation. So uh, what I'm hearing you say is when they're coming out strong, like what you were just mentioning, sort of an outburst or whatever, Mm -hmm. um, our best response is something calm, something soothing, um, relational, that kind of thing. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's super duper tough. And, you know, we just we just never want to punish a child you know, for behavior that's outside of their control and not try to stop or override or change. You know, it's so hard to do because um, it it does feel like defiance. And anyone that has ADHD is going to have some oppositional defiance because when your threat system's on, you're only processing between fight and flight. Your Mm -hmm. processing that's complex is not available to you. It's impaired. So, working with that so it, we want to we want to focus on ADHD being the problem not the child right right so how um one of the questions that I got I feel like you kind of answered the first two questions about mm-hmm. how to understand them better so we can best help them and how to build sure. a relationship with someone who's so inattentive mm-hmm. um but how do we help them deal with their emotions mm-hmm. yeah and that's what we would like we use it we call it emotions focused coaching and we we change our we have to change our view of feelings feelings are a request for action mm. and with uh and and so an energy 
So when their emotions come up, it's very important for us to help them discharge that energy because the developing brain is misfiring all the time. We should be surprised when it's firing correctly. (laughs) (laughs) So change your expectations. (laughs) Yes, of course. And, And to expect a child to function like an adult is is really, really unfair because they don't, they're not equipped. Their, their mental development is, is just, they're not there. Like, like even things like, um, futuristic consequences doesn't come online, um, you know, too much later. You don't see it, you know, right, a, right. A, you know, and so you have complex thought doesn't even come online till 12. So learning how to get mindful with their emotions and work on what we call the three R's. And so if you look at, if you think about the brain as three, like steps, the first step is the bottom of your brain, which is, you know, your, the area that's your brainstem and, and your that's, that's diencephalon, which is the part of your body, uh, your brain that, that drives autonomic systems or automatic systems, autonomic systems. So Basically, there regulation is more important. So we got to get the body regulated because when feelings come on you, they're really big. And if you think about anger, you ball your fists up. Or you think about fear, you push away. They're they're physiological, and they're driven by impulses in the part of your brain that doesn't think. So if we shame or override or or power up or get angry or or get reactive. It's extremely confusing for a child because then emotions feel unsafe. We -hmm. want them to feel safe to do their feelings and mentor and coach them through how to effectively do these emotions. And, And so the regulation of the body first, notice where you feel it, what's going on, where do you feel that, you know, where is that anger? Trying to get them in the bottom part of the first step, we want to regulate the body, breathing. We use different skills, paced breathing. We use um, mindfulness techniques. So, you know, in DBT, we use tip skills where we, um, and I can go into that a little bit more, but we want to get the person's body regulated. And then we step up again to the dif- to the midbrain, which is the emotional brain. Then we want to relate and validate feelings. I know you're upset right now. I know this makes you really angry. I know you, this feels hard. You know, I feel, you know, um, share how you're being impacted as well in an empathic way. As soon as you validate feeling or what we call relate to that emotion on the second step, the amygdala, which fires this threat system, comes down at least 30 percent. So validation is so important. Validating the feeling, not the be, not the out the behavior or the whatever's coming, whatever's the result of it, but right. the emotion. But that, yeah, mm-hmm. right. But in that moment, mm-hmm. you, you that's not what you you're wanting to focus on. You're in exactly. that church. You need to focus on the relating and the validating. Yes, the mm-hmm. relating and the validating, and and really getting cued in. And it takes a real shift in parenting. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a guy named. Um, uh, John Gottman, who's done a lot of research, he's done relational and family research, and um, he has all kinds of stuff. And he does emotions-focused coaching for parents to learn how to deal with big emotions. And um, we actually here at Seasons have a group on that, and we, you know, because emotions-focused coaching helps kids feel safe with their feelings. Right. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. It, now, is this a resource that moms could go to? Um, is it a book? You know um, what? It, the the Gottman Institute okay. uh, it ha- would have it. Um, there's a couple of guys that I like that are um, that are just uh, tremendous neuroscientists and researchers and just studied of the developing brain, Dan Siegel and uh, Bruce Perry. And um, and Gottman does emotions focused parent. You know, they have there's a book that Gottman does that's called um, Raising an Emotionally Intelligent Child. And um, the more kids feel safe with their emotions, the the better their mental health will be. Because okay. you know, one of the most difficult things we all have to learn, and the the heart of mental health issues is not being able to do difficult emotions. And right, children with ADHD tend to have a plethora of other mental health problems because they feel so overwhelmed with the emotions that come from being inattentive or hyperactive. Right, right. And so mm-hmm. it's so you're you're basically talking about um, sort of the primary things to focus mm-hmm. on to prevent that from happening. Is what yeah, you're and yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to, so uh, just mom, so you know, I've jotted these down and I will look up uh, the links in the books and include those links in um, in the podcast notes so you have a, a resource to, to go to. So, um, okay, so you've talked about uh, the breathing and the mindfulness uh, starting at that bottom level and then right. the relating and the validating. Um, and then there's and, one more level, is that right? Yeah, and then we go to the reasoning. Reasoning. And then, okay. so it's regulate the body relate to the emotional state and then we can move to once because the lower level the first step is asking that part of the brain is asking am i safe right so the body has to know through their senses doing sensory work five things you can see four things you can touch three things you can smell two things you can you know hear Mm -hmm. you know work them through their senses get them grounded and get them feeling safe then and the emotional state there is asking, am I lovable? Mm. Am I am I loved? Am I connected? Am I do I belong? Mm. And if mm. the answers to those two questions are yes, then we can move up into the the place of deep reasoning and and complex understanding of empathy and how maybe the child's impacted someone by their, you know, behavior or what's happened and having empathy and mirroring and co-regulating so they can learn and grow. Right, right. That makes perfect sense. I remember uh, somewhere along the way, our son was fairly young, I want to say early elementary years, and I was having a hard time connecting with him when it came to correcting him. It was like he wasn't hearing me, it wasn't registering. And our oldest daughter said to me, I was kind of having a conversation with her about it, and she's about 13 years older than him. And so she was probably a teenager, and he was probably maybe six or seven. And um, I, we were having this conversation. She said, Mom, I think that if you will tell him how what he did made you feel or made someone else feel that he'll understand what you're saying. And she had totally nailed it. When I started to approach the things that way, he, it just for some reason mm-hmm. that resonated with yes. him. It meant mm-hmm. something to him. He didn't want to hurt other people. He didn't want to make other people feel bad or um negative, you know, towards beautiful. Yeah. So it was really, it was really interesting. So I can totally um, hear what you're saying here. It it just makes so much sense. So 
Um, one of the things that the moms have mentioned, several of them, is how um, this affects their the kids' memory. And I think you've mentioned mm-hmm. that um, earlier. Do you sure. have resources that you'd recommend, um, apps, games, anything, books, anything that would help us help them um, sort of get a little more of a grip on that? Sure. Well, I mean, obviously with executive functioning, number one, there are three main areas, you know, that we, we when we think of executive functioning is working memory, number one, mm-hmm. cognitive flexibility, and, you know, control, like inhibitory control. So we're, we're able to um, self-control and, and those kind of areas. So absolutely it's going to affect men- memory. Um, so, uh, in lots of different ways. So being regulated versus being deregulated is going to make mm-hmm. a world of difference, um, in the person's and child's ability to recall and consolidate information. So when the brain, you know, um, a lot of other things go into that, like sleep is incredibly important for, you know, memory consolidate, reconsolidation or consolidation. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, uh, you know, for a child that's struggling with ADHD, you know, instead of focusing so much on improving their memory, improve their regulation so that the frontal cortex can do what it does. Mm, that and, makes perfect sense. Right. So a lot of times what happens is the kid has plenty enough capacity. They just can't get regulated enough to let that you know, executive, that head coach up there, that, that real innovative leader part in the brain, let loose and mm-hmm. be able to feel calm enough to, to ponder and think and, and strategize and innovate. Stress mm-hmm. inhibits that. Stress right. causes a kid to, to do just enough to get relief. They're right. Just trying to get things done to get, so that's not learning. That's, right. that's, that's survival. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, mm-hmm. uh, that's a, pro- so, um, yes. And, and if a child has a memory problem, sure, there's things that you can do, but in their developing, um, in their developmental process, you know, unless they've had just a severe, um, you know, setback or trauma or something, that memory, when when a child gets calm and regulated, they're going to, you know, they're going to be able to, um, you know, handle whatever you know, um, you know, academic issues or whatever. Right, they right. Need to, yeah. Yeah. And that's why I think it's so important, you know, again, moms, you have this um, advantage in homeschooling where you can allow a more uh, self-directed learning. And I think I know that that's been key with all of our kids, but especially with our boys and especially with our youngest son who struggled with this, the kid loves, he, he loves to create with cardboard. So he, he makes things with cardboard and a glue gun and some duct tape every now and then, but that's basically all he wants for his, 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 you know, uh, I've asked him if he wants other things. And the thing is, he can focus for hours on end on this thing. Mm -hmm. And I just see this sense of calm and this sense of it's feeding something in his soul, in his brain, just being able to have those hours on end without a big time limit all the time to these projects that he wants to do. And I think that's um, so key when it comes to kids who are dealing with this, you know, keep, they can learn from a project-based 
um, perspective, you know, rather Mm -hmm. than the books and the bookwork and the memorization and all this kind of stuff. Um, it's so beautiful to watch it play out net more naturally. And I guess what I want to do is encourage moms with, with everything that Dan has already said, even up to this point, um, I would encourage you to get your mindset away from some of the preconceived ideas you might have about education and the, and trying to bring the traditional classroom home. And instead, think outside the box for the sake of your child, and you will see some amazing, amazing things start to happen. I feel yeah. like, D- Dan, can you tell me, do you think there's um, any connection between giftedness and this this particular struggle for for kids yeah i think so i can speak to that for sure i want to piggyback up on what you just mentioned remember moms children learn through play Mm, mm -hmm, that's mm. how they learn that is so true if we're not being creative and using just just think all of us you know, can learn through adults. Some of the most effective therapy is play therapy. Why? Because you have to be regulated to create, to Mm. innovate. Mm -hmm. You have to be able to step back and look at something and get fun and play positive emotion builds resilience. And so if Mm -hmm. I have positive emotion, I am going to be more regulated. So if I'm able to play, directed play can be your, the, it, well, it is the way children learn, and it's so important that, you know, the child have the capacity to create and learn through meaningful play. Right, and and meaningful is what's meaningful to them, mm-hmm. <laughs> not what's yes. meaningful to us. I couldn't, I couldn't care less about cardboard and, and glue guns, but watching him create and seeing how calm he is while he's doing it and how detailed he he is with it he'll he'll choose to do that instead of something else that I think would be more fun for a 15 year old but this is what he loves and I think just um trusting trusting that God is working in the midst of all of that and that whole idea of of learning through play like you said it doesn't just apply to the younger years um it's it's adults it's teenagers when our kids were um we've graduated six so far and all of our high schoolers have always had margin in their afternoon um for creativity for the things that they want to pursue for the things that they're interested in one of them loved digital music that was his area of creativity and i would see that same delight in his face when he was finished with the project or working on a project that I see in our son when he's working on cardboard. You know, it's just giving them that margin and that space to be able to do that. And I think this is, again, where that unhurried piece comes in. We have just, we've got to slow down. We've got to stop overpacking our schedules and we have to start just being with our kids. You know, neuroscientists have, um, and that that is so, so, so important what you just said there thank you neuroscientists have have um have learned that to learn a new skill or develop a new habit it would take 400 repetitions because the more you repeat something the more it wires in through play it takes between 12 and 20 
Wow. So it's a massive difference. Mm. And just think, moms, when you when you're in, you know, uh, your home and your child is playing, I want you to take a step back and just observe their body, observe their facial expressions, observe how they're creating in their environment. That's what regulated is. Mm. That's wonderful. I I I I'm so thankful that you said that because one of the things that I encourage moms to do is to be a student of their children. And when I talk about what that looks like, it's just as you described. They're off doing something that I'm not giving them to do. They're choosing to do, um, whether that's playing with a sibling or playing by themselves, being outside. It, it always seemed to involve doing something they enjoyed. And I would sit back and I would just watch them. And like you said, watch their expressions, watch their faces, see what they took delight in, how they responded to things. And it told me so much about that child. And it really helped give direction in our mm-hmm. days, you know, as far as what are we going to do? How how could we approach um, reading in maybe a more interesting way that this child would enjoy more or whatever? You know, it, it really helped kind of give us those, those specific um, directives so that we could do uh, just create a more uh, an, a learning environment that was more um, custom made for our particular kids. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, I think one of the things that that is um, coming to to the forefront here as I'm looking over these questions uh, from the moms, they're again asking, how do you get distracted kids to focus? And and I, I'm I'm thinking we're ge- we've already gotten some of that direction by, you know, mm-hmm. starting out with that relational piece of it and um, just being keeping it things very calm and safe. Um, but I wonder if you could help us with, you know, maybe kind of break it down into age, uh, general age categories and just some sort of general ideas um, or, or, or tools or um, I don't know. Do you have anything that you, you that you'd like to, to share uh, younger children, elementary ages, high school, that kind of thing regarding um... Um, just kind of help? helpful things to help them focus or do you feel like the the things you mentioned earlier um kind of answer a lot of that the relational piece the the quiet piece the calm and safe and not reacting piece yeah well i think you know for ki- for for children under 8 you know they really need a lot of learning through play mm-hmm. a lot of you know sensory type um, interactions, a lot of like uh, getting their feet on the ground and mm-hmm. get, you know, um, g- where they're able to uh, have a lot of unstructured and structured playtime mm-hmm. and uh, to guide and direct that so that they're developing that front executive functioning. Right. You know? Right. And so right. that's very important with response flexibility. They can play out scenarios and you can learn so much about how God's wired them, mm-hmm. who they are, mm-hmm. what mm-hmm. the and to, you know, it, it takes a more active parent. Um, so you have to really be involved and regulated yourself. If you're not regulated uh, and you're um, then it's going to be difficult to get on the floor and create, you know, learning through play. Right. Right. So it's so it so starts with that eight eight to twelve, 
you know, um, that's when, you know, your social relating systems and your more complex systems. So it's um, you, you can start with, you know, some of the more um, uh, intellectually stimulating things that that, that involve. Um, but I, I still think reading, um, mm-hmm. creating, writing, art, all is music. Music is a tremendous regulator. Mm-hmm. And so I think that it's very because it, it moves both hemispheres. Right. Nothing stimulates the brain more um, than than playing an instrument and music. So mm-hmm. having artistic, expressive types of learning is just jams up that brain in such a way that heightens and lights up these these lobes, the mm-hmm. lobes that drive that executive functioning. And then when you get beyond you know, uh, you know, get from 12 to 15, you know, there, there's a lot of social interactions there that are incredibly important. So you want to be hands on with that learning and get them out building confidence. Right. Right. How they engage people themselves, the world, how you engage them and keep putting it back on them to, you know, learn and grow and learn and grow. Mm, I love that. I, I, I'm envisioning this. I've seen this happen with our kids. This, this is just incredibly practical. And the thing that I find interesting is it actually comes pretty naturally. If you lay down all these preconceived notions and anxiety about how things should be, and you actually follow what's sort of natural for your kids and you're tuned into them, this is exactly how it plays out. And I've just watched this over and over and over again with our kids. And I I think I would add to that, um, if you don't mind, a playing outside specifically, being out in nature, Mm -hmm. I think is really, really important. Um, And then, you know, when it comes to high school age or teen age, um, some of the moms that have asked questions have Mm -hmm. um, actually been dealing with like a late diagnosis. And so they've Uh got this whole history now with their kid and their kid has this history and with themselves because you know that by now they've already got a view of themselves and and it very easily could be negative with a you know having had a late diagnosis what are some wise steps for evaluation and for best helping them excellent excellent question um most you know not always but most of the time you know um it's it's a combination of anxiety um, because when anxiety comes on, I start scanning and I start getting into futuristic worry. What if, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if, if it's social anxiety or performance anxiety, a lot of kids, like you said before, um, gifted kids are told they're smart. And that's one of the you know worst things, really, you can tell a child because then as soon as they don't perform up to, you know, the smartest mm-hmm. or the best they start feeling overwhelmed. Something's wrong with me. I'm not smart anymore. They start developing a negative internal working model or a desire to, instead of try and learn and grow, they want to quit and only do what they're good at. And it creates an anxiety relationship with, with what, with performance. Right. Right. And so what I like to do, to do what we do here is the TOVA test, which is a testing of variables of attention. Okay. T-O-V-A is one of the tests I like. There's lots of them out there, you know, um, and there's lots of, you know, um, ways to strengthen, you know, the executive functioning. You know, there's CogMed, which is a type of training. But I, I think, you know, when you have a teenager, um, do something like a TOVA test because it it's a 20 minutes visual 
and 20 minutes audio. And then you're going to be able to see, you're going to get more of an understanding of, is this inattentive type? Is this anxiety? Are we borderline? Is it more auditory? Is it more visual? You know, those kinds of things. And it's going to help you get a better understanding. There's lots of tests out there like that. Um, it can be incredibly uh, expensive. So a TOVA mm. is not all that, you know, expensive. And it can give you a lot of really good information. So that's just something that that we do. Um, we like to minimize cost and focus on holistic types of, of, of strategies like neurofeedback and biofeedback. Biofeedback mm. is mm-hmm. a tremendous tool. Mm-hmm. Um, and we can use video games or movies or whatever to work with that that nervous system, that autonomic nervous system that you can't train, you know, by by thought because it's your it's your subcortical brain. So you do it through um, different techniques of calming the body through breathing techniques and environments that create stress and then um, regulation. And it's basically a workout. It's a mental right. workout. So biofeedback, neurofeedback, those are the things. If you have a late diagnosis, a lot of times it's not so much, you know, ADD. It's a lot of anxiety and scanning. But it's good to get a it's good to get a test. Right, right. And so uh, the moms are probably asking, where would they get this test? How could they? Gosh, that's okay. a good question. In your area, um, there's a there's a website, ADD add ad or attitude but it's it's with add so it's addituedemag.com attitude.com it's an add website you know there's russell barclay i think it's russell um dr barclay is the leading you know expert neuro neuro uh, scientist uh, neurobiologist on um on add and so there's a tremendous amount of good information on the website about medication, alternative medication routes, um, how to test, um, treatments, parenting, the ADHD, positive parenting, um, a lot of things. Nutrition is huge because Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. your gut genomes and all of your gut bacteria directly relate to mood. And so it's very important with someone that, that is struggling with a lot of inattention, a lot of ADD, um, to to really be on a an, an ADD based um, uh, helpful or um, enhancing diet, right? And, uh, right. There's a lot of um, information here. Um, there's downloads, webinars, tools, all kinds of stuff that you can get on this website. Right. Great. Well, what I'll do is include that website also in the podcast notes. So mm-hmm. moms, if you don't have a pen right now, it's okay. It's all it's all good. I'm going to put this in the podcast notes. So Attitude, it, was it M-A? Uh, Attitude it? Mag. Um, Mag. It, okay, yeah, got it. It's like got a it. magazine. And, um, but right. the, the website just does a, a, is tremendously helpful. Some of the other... Um, uh, resources, you know, taking charge of ADD or ADHD, the complete authoritative guide for parents by Russell Barclay, who actually authors that website, you know, is kind of, you know, you know, the main book. Understanding Girls in ADHD is really a good one. Um, that one there is by Kathleen Nadu, N-A-D-E-A-U, um, because it's very, it's much more tricky um, because, girls and women adult women are 
um, because of the the different ways that they regulate emotionally, are able to, you know, um, really mask those symptoms. Right, right. Well, tell us. Yeah, tell us a little bit about that because I was really curious. It seems like so often boys are diagnosed with it. Tell us about the whole girl aspect. You know, that is a. It's really tricky. It's kind of new as we as we look at it, um, because girls tend to develop you know, emotionally, their emotional sensing and their capacities and abilities um, much quicker. Mm -hmm. And they're able to identify emotions um, and and work with emotions. Um, I guess, you know, God wired us differently in that way. So a lot of times girls will internalize way more than boys do. Mm -hmm. And so they'll they'll turn all that energy inward. Mm -hmm. And so it's harder to see. It looks more like hypo rather than hyper. And that makes perfect sense. So what so what would that look like? Let me um, take a look here. There's a there's a good there's a new um, article here on, you know, girls and and women with ADHD, because, you know, uh, what it would look like more is more heightened anxiety and inability to focus or, you know, in a way that that because they can't focus, they have anxiety. They start avoiding a lot Mm. and isolating Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so it, the behaviors look a little bit different. They don't look like, you know, impulsivity and anger and that kind of stuff. It looks like more avoidance, internalizing and isolating because not being able to focus, then they start comparing and looking around and everyone else can, but I can't. Wow. And, you know, that's and so fascinating. That's it fascinating. Turns it, yeah, they turn it inward um, and, and, and mask those symptoms. Um, because usually, you know, big emotions, you know, are, are really tough for anyone to do. Right. But earlier on, you know, girls tend to, um, you know, have that a little bit more, work with that a little bit more. Right, right. That makes perfect sense. And, and I'm thinking, too, that um, because they're not, because they're quiet, and they're not um, doing the outbursts, they're not requiring the attention, we can easily miss what's yes. actually happening. And I yes. think that is, that's huge. Um, uh, yeah, that's, that's so interesting that they would respond. So, well, it, it seems, you know, uh, like God, you know, he made us differently. And mm-hmm. <laughs> so it does make sense in that on the mm-hmm. one hand that it, it would look different, but so vastly different. That is, that's amazing. So the one who's having outbursts is the one that's going to get the attention and the one who's mm-hmm. quiet and may go completely unnoticed. And that's something, uh, we don't really want to happen. So you mentioned there was an article or something. Do you? Yeah, uh, on the website. I, I don't have it with me okay. right now linked up, but it's on the um, the website there. And they go into the Attitude website and they go into um, women and girls and and some of the difference and, and the difficulty in diagnosing. You know, wow, if, you, right. if a child really does have, you know, an early case of ADD and we don't do either medication or some of the other holistic, um, you know, um, interventions, then we really leave them in a really tough spot because that's Mm. a neurobiology issue. It's not like, Hey, try to focus harder. You know, it's (laughs) just try harder, (laughs) try harder, you know, and they're dysregulated and their frontal (laughs) cortex is offline. It's, you know, it just makes them feel worse and more shame and guilt. 
Right, exactly. That that's just that sends them a whole different direction. We don't want them to go. So absolutely. Um, so okay. So I'm I'm kind of looking over my questions here because we're kind of getting to the end of our time. Um, could you maybe just tell us, uh, just sort of stepping back and keeping the big picture in mind? Um, you have any? last words of advice or things to keep in the forefront of our mind. I know for me, this is really great and I I can't wait to dive in and start um, looking through the details on this, but just on a day-to-day basis, is there something we can kind of keep in the forefront of our mind um, to help us respond better and in a more healthy way, in a more productive way um, with our kids who are struggling with this? Yeah, I think so. I think one is Try to catch them as much as you can doing something positive. Mm, you know, look, look for that. Really look to catch them, you know, doing something positive. Because remember, positive emotion builds, builds resilience. Resilience, yes. I, I wrote that down. That was a great and quote. So. so you want to, they when they feel good about themselves and they feel love, that's four S's, safe, seen, soothed, secure. Mm-hmm. You're going to enhance learning brain and supercharge their frontal cortex and executive functioning. So the four S's are super duper duper important. Mm-hmm. Feeling safe, feeling soothed, feeling seen. Seen is see them for their feelings, who they are, because a child is they only know their feelings are them. Mm. They don't know much how to differentiate. That's a very advanced skill is something we have to learn. Mm-hmm. So when they, you know, if we, you know, if we're seeing their feelings and validating them and shifting them, then they're helping them soothe and shift and coach them. They're going to build a lot of confidence. So catch them, you know, working hard, caring for themselves, being mm-hmm. empathic, train that empathy mm-hmm. in them. You know, so the four S's that, you know, and remember to focus on the problem being ADHD, not the child. Right. And recognize that the child is having a coping crisis Mm -hmm. when they're, you know, they're not able um, because of their response flexibility deficits or their frontal cortex deficits, executive functioning deficits right now. They're not able to, um, you know, respond maybe as quickly or with compliance or they have impulses because that threat system comes on so fast and to right. help them regulate, Hey, let's do over, let's do a do over, you know, right. Get them to, you know, instead of, you know, really focusing on the behavior, focus on helping train them to do it well and build confidence. Mm, I love that. I love that. And, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm thinking about, the mom out there who's listening, who maybe their child hasn't been diagnosed, but they're suspicious um, that maybe they have that. One thing that I, I really want to bring to, and you can tell me what you think about this, what I want to bring to the to the forefront is um, many times I think that boys are misdiagnosed because they are so active and they don't learn the way that girls do. And a lot of our school system uh, classroom setting is set up for girls and really just actually a fraction even of those, not for boys and their need to move and their need to be mm-hmm. outside. And what I, yep. I, yeah, five of our eight kids uh, were our boys and 
because we homeschooled and because we took an unhurried approach, they were allowed lots of breaks for a snack, to run outside, to jump on the trampoline, to take a mental break. Um, They learned to regulate themselves Mm -hmm. because uh, they had the freedom to do that. You know, if they were struggling with something, I said, hey, do you just need a break? You need to just go out and ride your bike for a while. And, you know, I'd set a timer, you know, maybe 15, 20 minutes or whatever, because, you know, with eight kids, I I easily could forget about them. And (laughs) Mm-hmm. And by by noon, I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, I forgot to bring that kid back in. And they're having a great old time. But, you know, yep. Yep. so much for schoolwork for that day. But anyway, all Exercise. that to say, yep. yeah, I feel like boys just get such a bad rap. And they're, they are so amazing. I, I love our boys. I love the because they've had lots of freedom to be who they are, I've just so enjoyed their sense of humor, their creativity, the ways that they have figured out how to learn and how they learn, the ways that they have figured out how to regulate themselves and mm-hmm. what they need and don't need, what works for them and what doesn't. Um, I actually didn't figure all that out. They did because they had the freedom to be who they were. And I think it's so important for us to to be a little bit careful not to um, feel like we need some sort of label or diagnosis for something that's very natural and normal you know so Mm -hmm. just kind of i just wanted to throw that out there because Mm -hmm. we we Mm -hmm. our culture is so full of um you know just all kinds of you know ideas about different learning issues and how boys should act and you know um and and so there's just I, i think the things that you shared today this is what i'm so thankful for is that the things that you shared today regardless of whether they've actually been diagnosed or not, are still Mm -hmm. great, wonderful, absolutely essential tools in parenting. They're enhancements for any child, any any parent. Exactly, exactly. So we know that, uh, you know, our kids are fearfully and wonderfully made. God has knit them together. Not one detail has been overlooked. And I think um, the things that you shared today are just incredibly helpful and will help us, you know, see where God is working um, in our kids and in us and and cooperate with that, you know. Um, Can I mention one sure. more, one more yes, takeaway? Absolutely. One more takeaway, moms and dads, make sure you know the difference between discipline and punishment. Mm. Because a child with ADD is really tough. Mm. And discipline, you know, in New Testament Greek, if you look at disciple and discipline, are similar words. You see the word hymnasio, which comes from the word gym, work, work it out, develop mm. it. You know, mm-hmm. it's like get in the gym and work. We have to work with our kids you know, and to really help them learn. Um, punishment uses, you know, shame and force or fear. Mm-hmm. And, you know, discipline is the positive feed. It's helping our kids learn how to do it right and mm-hmm. helping them to, you know, um, grow and learn from their mistakes, not feel right. shame and fear and right. guilt. So, and, and it, it can get very confusing when we're frustrated and we've got a full day of, of teaching and, you know, lots of stuff on our plate and stress, you know, with bills and jobs and things like that. It can it, it can be very confusing. So, you know, that would be one other, you know, piece of 
um, you know, uh, advice I just throw out there at the end. That's that's excellent. I'm so glad. I'm so glad you shared that. I think, um, again, this is where it comes down to it is worth slowing down to be able to take a step back. You know, when things get amped up, I, I remember with our kids, one of the best l- lessons I learned was when the kids were starting to things were starting to fray, which could happen in a matter of everything could be going great. And 60 seconds later, everything's falling apart. So when that would happen, I would I learned the hard way, but I learned to hit the pause button. Just take a step back, take a break, take a breather, take a time, take time to pray and just ask the Lord for wisdom and just let your emotions calm down. Let their emotions calm down. And yeah, it might mean there's some things you're not going to get done, but never ever will you regret Mm. slowing down and being intentional. So Dan, it has been such a blessing to have you here. Um, I'm grateful for your willingness to spend time with us and and sharing your heart. Um, I've been encouraged and I know the moms have been as well. So I'm so grateful. Thank you, Dorenda. Mm. Thank you. All right. And thank you, moms, for being here. Let's close in a quick word of prayer. Lord, we thank you so much for this time together, God. It just felt like there was just your presence was here, God. We know that there were tools and things that um, you've made available um, today for the moms who are listening. And I pray that um, that each one would tune in to the, to the intuition that you've given them for their specific children and that you would bring to mind the tools and the things that we've talked about today, um, the ones that are going to work best for them, Lord. And so we just, we lift each mom up to you who's listening, dads too. We just pray for your blessing over them. We pray for wisdom. We pray for the Holy Spirit to give them discernment and direction, Lord, and just pray peace over their households. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.